Today's sermon is going to be out of Hebrews, um, the end of chapter 12 and into the beginning of chapter 13. So this will be on the screen or you can open your Bibles. This is the word of the Lord. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue, and do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see you all this morning. Uh, if you are new here, my name is Matt Ortiz. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, if we haven't met yet, uh, it would be a huge favor to me if you could introduce yourself to me after the service. I would, I would love to meet you and get to know you. And uh, it is my sincere hope and prayer that, that you feel welcome here and that you feel like part of the family. And if there's anything we could do to, to serve you, you let me know, all right? To bring up to speed, we're in a series called Church Life. Actually, we do Church Life series every now and then throughout the year. A, a short series where we focus in on something that we believe to be uh, timely or especially relevant to our church and, and the, the season that we might be in. This Church Life series is simply called Love Your Neighbor. Love Your Neighbor. It's real easy for us to see that as a church we are to love God and, and to love each other and then totally forget about loving our neighbor. Jesus was pretty explicit in his command to love our neighbors. And so often we treat it like it's an option Here's the deal with church life. Church life, genuine church life means it is not just you and God. A lot of people view their, their spirituality or their faith or their Christianity and their practice of it as something that's just between me and God. Scriptures don't teach that. Not at all. If you're a Christian, church life means that you are rooted in and established in God's community of grace with brothers and sisters in Christ. It means that we live life 
together through the good times and the hard times for the glory of God and the cause of his kingdom, amen? This also means that we are constantly loving our neighbors and we are always welcoming our neighbors into God's community of grace. Now this morning we're looking at a passage uh, from a letter that's known as the book of Hebrews. And this letter was written to a people, to, to the people of God in that day, that time, that place, people who were beaten down, people who were suffering, people who are persecuted. And now these people, they're, they're on the verge of giving up. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you just feel powerless. Maybe you feel all alone as you're facing like the brutal realities of, of like everything around is unstable or falling apart, everything's shaking. Well, let me tell you something. I guarantee you that your neighbors are going through the same thing as you are. But here's the difference. When you suffer, you do not suffer as those who have no hope. Your neighbors need the hope that you have to sustain them. And if you love your neighbors... You're going to want to share that hope with them one way or another. Be that brother that they need. Be that, be that sister that, that they need. The author of this letter of Hebrews gives us the hope of the gospel. And the author proclaims the good news of, of Jesus and, and his kingdom. And he invites all of us uh, to be deeply embedded in close community. Those who have experienced the grace of God. And when we experience the grace of God, it fills our hearts and our hearts overflow with love for God and love for each other, and we must not forget love for our neighbors. We cannot forget that. So our first point, if you're following along using an insert in your bulletin, first point is this. God's community is critical. It's critical. Look at the last two verses of chapter 12. It says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is what? A consuming fire. Now, this kind of reminds us of all of those Old Testament passages and, and scenes like when God's presence descended on the top of Mount Sinai and there was like thunder and lightning and smoke and, and it was just intense. And, and when the presence of God descended on Mount Sinai, you, I mean, people couldn't touch the mountain because they would die because God is holy and, and we are not. And then, the presence of God dwelled in the tabernacle. And an interaction between God and his people had to be mediated uh, through Moses. It was absolutely necessary. And then the first question that comes up is, how do we appropriately 
and acceptably approach God, worship God, and behave in God's holy presence because you don't wanna mess that up, right? Not after reading all those intense scenes from the Old Testament, you don't wanna mess that one up. So how do you engage God? Well, the answer that was given to those people in those days in the Old Testament, the answer was the book of Leviticus. Have you ever tried to read the Bible from cover to cover? You get a determination, you break out your Bible, you crack it open to the book of Genesis, and you dig in. And you get, it's, Genesis is long, but you get through it because it's exciting. And, and you know, there's, there's, there's you know, wars, and there's, there's, there's adventure, and sex, and scheming, and, and, and then you get to Exodus, and, 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 and we see all these, you know, supernatural miracles, and, and the deliverance of God's people, and, and plagues, and, and then you get to Leviticus. And you die in Leviticus. Why? You just, why, do you, why is it so easy to just be tempted to stall out in Leviticus? Why, why does it seem uh, irrelevant? Why does it seem uh, like boring? Well, there are so many details in Leviticus, right? And, and, and we don't get it. All the ceremonial laws, all of the rituals, uh, you know, mediated through Moses, you know, everything about what you got to eat and not eat, what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear. And in Leviticus, for God's people, then in that time, the point was to make approaching God possible, to make worshiping God accessible because he is holy and, and we are not. But then we get to the New Testament. Like here in Hebrews chapter 12, and it points us to Jesus. And through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection, the presence of God, the all-powerful holy God, the presence of God can come right into the center of your heart. The presence of God can come right into the center of your life, where you are as you are. That is the power of the grace of, of God. His, God's holy presence was fatal, but because of Jesus, now God's presence is life-giving. And Hebrews raises the same question. How do we approach God? How do we behave in God's presence that is now mediated not by Moses, but now by Jesus? What's it mean now to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe? Well, the end of chapter 12 is closely connected to chapter 13. And the author tells us here what it looks like, what worshiping God with reverence and awe looks like. In verse 1, love each other as family. Verse 2, show hospitality to strangers. Verse 3, remember those in prison and who are mistreated. Now I know worshiping God is way more than that, but it's not less than that. Worshiping God includes that. The way we worship God now includes, includes radical community. 
we now experience our all-powerful, all-holy God now through deep participation in the radical new practices of life together in God's community of grace and as we lovingly welcome our neighbors into that community. This is critical to worshiping God and experiencing his presence. Do you see that? See, the New Testament, what we see in the New Testament is that Jesus is creating a new people. He is creating a new community. That's, that's why the scriptures refer to God's people as a flock. You cannot be a flock by yourself. If you're driving through Valley Center and you're passing the field and there's one sheep standing in the middle of the field, you don't say, hey, look at that flock. It takes more than just one sheep, right? The text here is saying that, that you don't experience God, you don't worship God just by coming to a service every now and then. You cannot, you cannot experience the consuming fire and power and presence of God apart from God's community of grace. Hebrews 13 is like our, our gospel Leviticus. This deep community is how we worship God acceptably now. Deeply committed to God's community of grace and welcoming in our neighbors, amen? Second, God's community is intense. It's intense. Chapter 13, verse one, commands us to let brotherly love continue. In other words, love each other like family. Love each other as family. And let me tell you something, we hear that kind of language all the time, maybe we're used to it, but this is actually more intense than you might think. In the time of the early church, there was this Greek guy named Lucian of Samosota, and he made a name for himself as a writer, and among other things, he would write scathing satire and make fun of people, and he included mocking Christians, right? And he mocks Christians when, when he wrote this, that he says their founder, which is who? Jesus, persuaded his followers that they should be like brothers to one another. Therefore, they despise their own privacy and view all of their possessions as common property. What a bunch of morons. You know, when I say my brother Aaron or my sister Ashley, this guy, he was aware of the implications he understood what that meant, and he made fun of it. Living as family is an intensely different way of living than the rest of the world, where we like to show up, automatic garage door opens, we go in, close the door, we stay in our little bubble. That's, that's our life. 
That's normal. So this stuff, this is just weird. So it's intense. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. First, it's unconditionally intense. Now, how many of you have brothers and sisters, siblings? Most of you, right? I'm going out on a limb here, but chances are you didn't always like them, right? Sometimes you wished that they would just run away. And you'd be okay with that. But guess what? In spite of all of your arguments and fights and how weird they are, you're still family. And, and if the, or even if a relationship is strained, you hurt because this is family. If you didn't love them, if, if you wouldn't care if you had a relationship with them or not. In a healthy family, kind of comes along with things like no privacy. Your family knows everything about you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. When you were little, maybe your older siblings wiped your nose and your backside, or at least your siblings saw that thing kind of happening. And they know your bad habits. They know your character flaws. They know what bugs you, and they take advantage of it. They know your hygiene habits or your lack thereof, right? But there's an unconditional bond, an unconditional commitment, an unconditional love in a healthy family. And it must be that way with our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's got to be like that. Also, this kind of community is economically intense. That Lucian guy saw this. You know, these brothers and sisters not only gave up their privacy, but they also gave up their right to use their, their, um, their possessions first and foremost for themselves. Look, everyone in a healthy family, um, they, they, everybody benefits from a shared home, right? Everybody uh, benefits from, from shared resources, uh, you know, maybe a shared inheritance. And this might look different from, you know, you know from church to church with brothers and sisters in Christ, but it's the same principle for God's community of grace. No one stands alone. Why? Because you're my brother. Because you're my sister. That's your identity. That's who you are. And how you live your life flows from your identity. Next. It's racially and culturally intense. You know what, no matter who it is, if someone has experienced the saving and transforming grace of our Father, it doesn't matter if we're different races or from a different culture. And they're just as much as your brother and sister in Christ. And in my experience, I've found that, that most Christians will at least verbally agree with that. But then all too often, when, when you know, a cultural difference comes up, 
uh, that, that has a different perspective that you're not used to from, from your culture and the way you were brought up, then I see how quickly people can become disrespectful and patronizing and contemptuous to people who are different than them and then moralize it and then justify it. God's called his community to be totally different. That's how the rest of the world works. A healthy family is brothers and sisters who stand with each other and for each other in spite of their differences. And finally, it's transformationally intense. Now, I thought that I just made up that word because Microsoft Word doesn't like it. Gives me that little red line under it. But I looked it up. It's on the internet. So it's true. <laughs> Even if it's not, I like it. And I'm going to use it. It's transformationally intense. You know, a lot of you are young. And a lot of you remember when you were. Barely, but you, for the most part, you remember. And when you're young, you think that who you are, you are who you are because of the decisions that, that you have made. By your, by your own choices. But then when you get older and do a little, just a little bit of self-reflection, you realize that you are who you are because of your community, because of the people who are closest to you have shaped your heart and life for better or worse. That's how it works. And so, so Christian community, God's community of grace is not like being you know, part of a club, Right? If you're in a bird-watching club, what do you talk about? Yeah, birds, right? But then someone comes up to you in the club and says, you know what, I don't know why you're dating that person. I mean, I don't think they're good for you. And you say, excuse me, we're here to talk about birds. Mind your own business, right? But Christian community is family. We will. We need to be close enough to each other that we shape each other's lives. All points of your life connect with all points of your brothers and sisters. You eat together, you play together, you work together, you, you study together, you argue together, you see each other's problems, you share living space and resources and decisions. That is what shapes you. You know, real quickly, I think... Pastor Tom recently has given, and, and his wife Julia, have given us a really good example of this. You know, like three months or so ago, he got laid off from his job. And Tom's a hard worker. His new job became to find a job, and he put in overtime. And he was looking everywhere. And he was following up and networking like crazy. And, and, and he had so many interviews. He had hooks in the water all, all over the place. And he brought in uh, the, the other pastors uh, and his crowded, people in his crowded house and, and, and the DNA groups of, of Tom and his wife, Julia. They were talking about it, praying about it, trying to process what it is uh, that, that, that they're going to do. And, and with all the hooks in the water, they had no bites. Now, they have to take care of their family. They have to provide for their family. 
They have 3,248 kids. Right? And so that, that requires a job. At some point, you have to start widening the circle, which increases the potential that maybe you might have to move away from your community and your church to find a job. And he didn't want to. But he invited in his brothers and sisters, and Julie invited in her brothers and sisters to talk about it and pray about it, make sure their hearts were in the right place, you know, making sure that, 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 that they weren't, you know, just... Um, Getting, getting lost in their own imagination, but asking for, for feedback. And that was a good example. I, and, and look, I, I, that should be normal for all of us. Tom gave us a good example, and praise God he found a local job, and he starts tomorrow morning. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah, you can clap if you want. God answered. God answered our prayers. I was dreading that they would have to move away. Man, I love them and their family. I told him I was praying for them, but I, you know, I didn't tell him that I was praying. I hope that he wouldn't get a job outside of Escondido. <laughs> your community shapes, should shape, the way you live your life. Maybe you feel like that's a burden, but I'm telling you, it's a blessing. Next, God's community is welcoming. You know, when it comes to, to intense community like this, it sounds like it would be impossible to, to break into something like this. You know what? Uh, most intense communities, uh, you know, uh, with a church or otherwise, people are super tight and super close and super committed to each other. Um, often or not, it seems from a distance anyway, that they're not welcoming. And the most welcoming communities seem to be not very intense, just kind of loose, just a bunch of nice people. And that's not the same as love. God's community of grace is supposed to be both intense and welcoming. Look again how chapter 13 starts. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. And you can paraphrase that by saying, work like crazy at loving the insiders and make sure you work incredibly hard at loving the outsiders. That is both intense and welcoming. You show sacrificial hospitality to your brothers and sisters in grace and to complete strangers. We call that weird. Jesus calls this normal in the kingdom of God. Or maybe we just consider it as unwise. Look, this was just as radical to them as it is to us now. Back in the Greco-Roman culture, people invited neighbors into their home because, you know, they hoped that they'd be invited into theirs. And you did stuff for your neighbors, so they do stuff to you. You give to get. That's how things worked back then. And that's pretty much how our culture works today, right? But in God's community of grace, you welcome in your neighbors who could never ever give something back to you or repay you. I'm talking about the person who's new, the person who's different. Look, God's community of grace 
It's not meant to be a place where someone must prove themselves before they are warmly welcomed in. The verse goes on. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained, entertained angels unaware. Remember a few weeks ago when we were talking about uh, Genesis uh, chapter 18, when, when Abraham brought three strangers into his home so that they could be refreshed and, and they turned out to be angels, representatives from God. And remember in Luke chapter 24, when, when two disciples, you know, opened their home to a stranger, they didn't know who he was, who he was but it turned out to be King Jesus himself. This is how God's community of grace is supposed to work. You love your neighbors regardless of whether or not they're able to repay you. God's community of grace and, and, and self-centeredness are totally incompatible. And here's the deal. If you're looking for angels, you won't see the strangers. If you're looking for strangers, you'll find the angels. It's when you give up your life for your heavenly father and for your neighbors. That's the, that's the fullness that we see here between intense community and welcoming community. Now, check out verse 4 and 5. This is... It's going to seem a little weird. It says, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Very next sentence, Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. Now, it seems a little weird to put those two thoughts side by side, right? You know, there's this early uh, Christian document that's not part of the uh, um, scriptures, but it describes the early church. It's known as the Epistle of uh, Diognetus. And, and here's a quote from it. It says, uh, the followers of Jesus, they, they share their table with all, but not their bed with all. They are poor, but make many rich. They are short of everything and yet have plenty of all things. Now, it was just as common then as it is now for, for people in a fallen culture to be inclined to share their bed with anyone but not share their table with anyone. Our, our sinful hearts are inclined for us to be promiscuous with sex but protective of our money. But the gospel makes us promiscuous with our money and protective of sex. According to the Bible, both money and sex are a gift from God and neither are for our own selfish happiness. It's for his purpose of building God's community of grace either within the marriage between a husband and a wife um, or, or advancing God's kingdom with their finances. 
what happens here, if you get the gospel, if you really get the good news, if you really see how generous God has been to you, how gracious he's been to to you, it, it makes you unselfish because it was the radical selflessness of Jesus Christ that saved you. That is what makes God's community of grace radically different than the surrounding culture. So Christian community is critical, it's intense, and it is welcoming. And that leaves us with a very, very important question. A question we have to ask before and answer before we leave here t- today. Because m- most preaching will stop right there and say, now go and do it. It's, we need power to live this way. Where does it come from? Last point. God's community is empowered by the gospel. Okay, that's what you need. Let me explain it. Verse seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And what's the word of God? The word of God is the gospel. And what is the gospel? Verse nine. Do not be led astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by just being religious. The gospel says that you are saved by grace, not by works. That's why we sing songs about it, to remind us. And to be encouraged by that. You're saved by grace, not by works, not even religious works. God's grace is far more powerful and God's grace brings into, you, brings into your life a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. Look what it said back in verse five. Again, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is God saying this to you this morning. If you believe that, if you believe that God will never leave you, if you believe that he will never forsake you, what that does is it frees you from the bondage and the idolatry of money. Why? Because you're content. Because God and his love and his grace and his commitment to you is enough and you don't need anything else. You have God. And so now having things is no longer critical for your self-worth or for your security or even the security of your family. And, and, and that doesn't dictate your job or where you live. God's community of grace and gospel purposes and kingdom purposes is what determines and shapes and prioritizes your life. Do you see that? So you use all of your resources your money, your time, your energy, your gifts, whatever it is that God has given to you for God's glory and his purpose of advancing his kingdom. How's that going in your life today? You can have nothing, but if you have God, you have enough. And then you can still live a generous life. God will, by his grace, empower you to do that. Even if it feels like you have nothing, even if it feels like you have no money or no energy, no health, no time, you pray and you ask God, God, by your grace, show me how I can live a generous life for the sake of your kingdom and for loving my brothers and sisters and my neighbors. I mean, that's, that's the kind of mind you have, the heart you have, the confidence you have when you know that God is with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. If you believe God will never leave you nor forsake you, it frees you from not only idolizing money, but also idolizing relationships. Why? Because you're content. You know, 
It's possible some of you are so frightened about being alone, you're doing things in a relationship that you know you shouldn't do. Not because... God gives us boundaries and relationships for our good, not because he's some, you know, buzzkill. He wants the best for you. And so often we decide what's best for us. And then our fear of being alone, we, we kind of compromise on that because we don't fully believe that God is with us and that he's enough. Or maybe instead you're consumed with worry of being alone and it's sucking the life out of you. Or, or maybe you're in a season in your life where you think, you know what, I'm fine. You know what, I've got a great spouse, I've got great friends, you know, everything I want. But, but you need to know at some point, every single person in your life will, will eventually leave you one way or another. Even the best spouse, best friends, best parents. Some may fail you because of, of their flaws, but also when you face death, you face it alone. Only God can go with you. So if God's not at the center of your life, you're alone, no matter what you think. If God is the center of your life, you're not alone, no matter what you think. Great. But how do we know that? Here's how you know. On the cross, King Jesus was forsaken. On the cross, King Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? See, our sin separated us from a loving and holy God. The result was cosmic aloneness. And Jesus took that aloneness so that God could say to you, I am with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And the Apostle Paul tells us, remember, you were separate from Christ. You were excluded. You yourselves were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. And he goes on to say in verse 12, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near. How? Through the blood of Christ. We were strangers and we had nothing that God needed. But he brought us in. And we received God's hospitality. And see, to the extent that you see the sacrifice that Jesus made so that you could receive the hospitality of God, you will be like him and you will sacrifice, sacrifice to share God's hospitality with your neighbors. That is God's community of grace. And what's that look like? in your life today? Well, just start using your imagination a little bit. Begin with prayer. Ask God to show you opportunities to build genuine relationships with, with your neighbors. Open your hearts, open your lives, open your wallets, open your homes. 
You welcome your neighbors into God's community of grace. Whether, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or midweek at a crowded house or just you know, with your, your family throughout the week. Maybe you invite your neighbors to a backyard barbecue and you know, grill up carne asada tacos or, or you make it a point to care for the poor, care for the prisoner, care for the oppressed, care for the destitute. You welcome your neighbors and you make them all feel like family. Someone did that for you. And now we all get to do that together for others. So immerse yourself in God's community of grace. Join a crowded house, DNA group, sign up using the connection card. Take meals to people in need. Worship with your church family. Do your best to prioritize it. Make room for it every Sunday, not as a legalistic thing, but for life as a life-giving thing. Maybe get here early to welcome the newbies. I always know who the new people are on Sunday mornings because they're on time. <laughs> Help with the kids. Or if you're sick, you know, you have health problems or whatever. Let me remind you that praying counts. Praying counts. Praying is a powerful ministry. This is church life. How is God leading you this morning? What is the next step God wants you to take? What's he calling you to do? What comes to mind? Maybe you wrote a name on, on, on one of those cards pinned to the board back there. You forgot who you were praying for? Go to the board and look up the name. And then ask God, how, what's the next step I can take with them sharing your love and truth with them? That's your homework. Follow through on it and know that it is all part of worshiping God with reverence and in awe. Amen? Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?